0: Thank you so much, Wendy. Uh, I had to, I got to come down a little bit. I had a bit of an adrenaline rush there when the doxology came on and I looked over and and Simon wasn't there and I was just like, where did he go? And then I was like ready to lose my mind and then I had to be always just taking up the offering. Okay, calm down. So (laughs) I, yeah, just kind of lost it for a bit there. We're going to be in uh, Romans chapter one. Uh, Sorry, sorry, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 today is where we're going to be spending Uh, Most of our time. Uh, Oh. So that's where we're going to be spending our time Uh, this morning. We're still talking about transformation, just to kind of give you guys a little uh, insight as to where the next couple of weeks are going to go. We're going to spend the next couple of weeks uh, talking about uh, transformation. Uh, Then we're going to go into Advent and we're going to talk about uh, Advent because. That's what happens at Advent, and then, yeah, it'll be the, the new year after that. So we still want to keep going through this, and, and we're going to be re- replenishing and coming back to the, to, the, uh, to the ideas of transformation in the new year as well. So, but uh, we definitely want to talk, uh, what I want to talk about today and what we're going to be talking about until Advent is this passage here, um, which is in some ways the thesis statement of what we're talking about when we talk about transformation. Um, uh, this is in Romans chapter 12. So uh, Paul has just spent the first 11 chapters of Romans explaining the path and the pattern of salvation. Like that's the, what he has just spent that all that time doing. Someday I'm going to preach through the book of Romans. I don't feel like I'm just ready yet. Um, so, uh, but it's going to happen someday, and uh, you will have to endure it with me. But, uh, that is a, but I just want to take this. So that's what's happening in the first 11 chapters. And then we get to Romans 12. He says, therefore... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve of what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is really important because it lays out for us in three verses the what and the why of transformation in what we're talking about. So the why of transformation, the why do we transform, why do we work towards our own transformation, is because it's the proper response to God's mercy. God has been merciful to us. He has saved us. He has sacrificed sacrificed himself for us. He has given us eternal life, life abundant. He has uh, given us all of these things. He's been merciful to us. And the proper response to that is for us to be transformed. We the why of transformation is also because this is the proper act of worship. Okay, a little bit hard for us to wrap our minds around in this day and age, but but everyone in that world understood that there were right and there were wrong ways to worship God. Be it the one true God or be it whatever God that you worship, there were right and there were wrong ways to do it. And the right way for us to do it is to be transformed individually. God doesn't want us to sacrifice our bodies by all like cutting off our limbs right that's an improper act of worship he doesn't want us to to change our behavior on the outside while leaving our internal minds uh, like our our minds and our hearts untouched that's not what he wants he wants us to be transformed because this is the proper act of worship this is the thing we ought to do when we come into the house of the lord And also, and possibly most importantly, the why of our transformation is so that we can know the will of God, right? And this is one of the biggest problems that that Christians face, the biggest issue that when I talk to people, when they talk to me about their faith life, is like, what does God want me to do? Well, transformation is a major tool being transformed by the renewing of our minds is the way that we discern what God's will is, okay? So, and I want to be really clear and just back up for one second here because, um, this last verse, uh, and if you've never heard this teaching before, please uh, disregard it. Uh, and, and but for those who have, uh, there's this idea that has been taught and has been allowed to take root in some churches that, uh, and, and in, with some teachers, that that this sentence means that you will be able to test and to prove what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That there are different levels of the will of God. Like there's some people that have taught that, like because God has a perfect and pleasing Will that he's also got a lesser permissive will, and that, like, you know, so if you've been taught that, that's utter and complete nonsense. There's not gradations of God's will for you. You can't, uh, if, if you, you, there's not a point where it's just like, Am I in God's perfect will or his permissive will? Did I make a mistake and get off on the wrong fork or on the road? I took the wrong exit, and now I'm in his permissive will. For the, no, that's not the way that that, that works. Grammatically, these words. Both in English and in Greek are describing what God's will is. These are adjectives describing the will of God. God's will is good and pleasing and perfect. That is not a type of His will. Those are adjectives describing what His will is. Okay, so if you've ever heard that there's like, if someone, as soon as someone says to you like, perfect versus permissive will, just completely disregard them. It has no validity in Scripture at all. They may be a very kind and good person who has been misled on this occasion, but just ignore the rest of what they're saying. Just turn your brain off or walk out of the room. Either of those things are acceptable. Okay? So, uh, uh, so, so, so yeah, so we can know the will of God. That's the why. And then the what of transformation is is really interesting to me as well, because this is what it says. The what of transformation is... What do we do? We offer our bodies as living sacrifices. These things in which we live, right? With the with the hair growing in some places and not in others, and the and the fitting of the clothes and the rolling of the ankles and all of that stuff. This meat thing, the bag of meat and electricity the, that we all occupy, we offer this as a sacrifice to the Lord, okay? So we offer our bodies as living sacrifice. We do not conform to worldly patterns, right? So do not no, do no longer conform to the pattern of this world. We don't think about humans. We don't think about other humans. We don't think about ourselves. We don't think about anything in the way that the world does. We think about it in the way that God has taught us to, 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 uh, to, to think about things. And then we renew our minds. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds, that, that, that we think about things differently because of the way that we have interacted with the Holy Spirit, because of the way that we continually interact with our brothers and sisters, the way that we continually act with other people, and the way that we uh, interact with God and his word, okay? So that's the what of transformation. We offer our bodies as living sacrifices, not conforming to worldly patterns and renewing our minds. And this is where we're going to spend the next... Few weeks, but what I want us to focus on today is this idea of offering our bodies as living sacrifices. And this is a difficult one for us to wrap our heads around. It's difficult one for me to wrap my head around for a couple of reasons. One, we're just not culturally equipped to understand this concept in any way whatsoever. Um, one, uh, we don't really understand what a sacrifice is. None of us have ever lived under a sacrificial system. We, most of it, many of you grew up in church, so you're familiar with the sound and those words, and you might even know some stories about what, what it was, but, but, but the concept feels very outside us. It feels very long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. It feels very separate from us. Um, but at the same time, so, so we're not really equipped to understand sacrifices. And the other thing that's happened in our culture is that, is that we don't really respect our bodies either. We don't really have a, an understanding that our bo- of our bodies as united with our hearts and our minds. We think of our bodies as something completely separate. There's a, a Gnosticism that has crept into our culture where like our soul is over here and our body is over there. Whereas like for Paul, for Hebrew minds, for James, for the writers of the New Testament, all of these things were deeply, deeply connected. And to have a theology of your mind and of your heart that did not change the way that you thought about your body was, was, uh, was lunacy to them. They wouldn't have understood it. But in the, at the time when, when Paul was writing this, they would have had a deep understanding of this. They would have under, sacrifice would have been familiar because sacrifice was done all over the world by all sorts of religions, and there was would have, been, would have been familiar. All over the empire, uh, people engaged in ritual sacrifice. They would have sacrificed animals. They would have sacrificed plants and grains and food. Uh, occasionally, it wasn't unusual historically for people to, to uh, sacrifice humans as well. This was pretty rare. By the time you get to the Roman Empire, when this was going on, but it wasn't rare in the world. Um, so everyone had a history with sacrifice, and in fact, for the for the Hebrews, that goes all the way back to Genesis eight. When Noah, the first thing that Noah does when he gets off the uh, off the ark is to offer sacrifices. They were going into the wilderness to offer sacrifices when they left Egypt. That's why they wanted to leave Egypt. Egypt was to offer sacrifices to their. God and and when they were given the law, a big chunk of the law, the the instruction that guided their lives was very specific instructions on how to do sacrifice. This is from Leviticus seven. These are the regulations, for, and this is very typical for for what you see in Leviticus. These are the regulations for the guilt offering, which is most holy. The guilt offering is to be slaughtered in the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered, and its blood is to be splashed against the sides of the altar. And all its fat shall be offered, the fat tail and the fat that covers the internal organs, both kidneys with the fat on them near the loins, and the long lobe of the liver, which is to be removed with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering presented to the Lord. It is a guilt offering. Any male in the priest's family may eat it, but it must be eaten in the sanctuary area, as it is most holy. Now, this is really interesting because the Hebrew, the, the 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 Hebrew people, the Israelites were given very, very specific instructions on how they ought to sacrifice. It was not their choice, right? There are certain animals that you are allowed to sacrifice: lambs, bulls, uh, uh, pigeons. You know, there were certain animals that were acceptable. This wasn't. A decision that they got to make, this, like, this wasn't like Halloween where you get to go to the store and you're like, I'm willing to give this, so I'm willing to give cheesies, or I'm willing to give you know, the small chocolate bars, or I'm feeling exceptionally generous and had a good year, so I'm going to give full-size chocolate bars. You don't get to choose, right? God has told them what they ought to bring to the table. It's not what is convenient and on hand, it is what God has instructed them to bring. And they're supposed to bring it in specific ways. You had to learn butchery, okay? If I were a priest in Old Testament times, I would have learned how to slaughter and butcher animals, okay? So there was a, I would have been very familiar with this, and I also would have had another trade that I could use in case, you know, things ever uh, didn't work out the way, you know, I would have had a useful skill. Um, And this is done, so so. We are offering what we have not chosen in a manner that we have not chosen uh, for something that we do choose, which is a relationship with God. And all of this is done as an act of submission, which reminds us that we are small and that God is great, that God is greater than us, that we follow in his ways and, that, and all, of the, all of this attention to detail and following along and obedience was a reminder that God is greater than us, okay? So what we learn about sacrifice that's important, that they would have had internalized in their hearts and their minds that we need to kind of begin to wrap our heads and our hearts around is that sacrifice was externally ordered, okay? So sacrifice didn't come from like, I feel like sacrificing today. I feel like that might be a good thing for me to do. I'm going to, sacrifice was externally ordered. God said, this is what you do on this day, okay? So it was a submission to an outside authority. But at the same time, it's still self-selected. Even though you know what you're supposed to do, you still have to choose and go do it. You still have to bring the first fruits. You still have to go to your flock and pick a lamb. You still have to go take your money, buy a lamb, go and make the sacrifice. It is self-selected. There is an agreement and a choice that you're going along with, but at the same time, that sacrifice is fully and completely surrendered, okay? You don't get to choose, well, I'd like to keep back this portion and give like, I'd like to get, I'd like to sacrifice three quarters of a lamb this year. Can you, that wasn't the way that it worked. Everything was fully surrendered, okay? So sacrifices are externally ordered, they're self-selected, and they're fully surrendered. So how does this apply to us, Right, Because what we've been instructed is to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Our bodies as a living sacrifice. And this takes us in an area that we're not necessarily comfortable with. Because that, in order for us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, we have to believe that our bodies have some value. It's strange because a lot of us don't like our bodies that much. They don't maybe work the way that we want to. It might not look the way that we want to. It doesn't work the way that we want to. It doesn't look the way that we want it to. But yet, at the same time, this body, all of this stuff, has been chosen by God as the sacrifice that he wants. So everything that you can pinch, everything that gets cold and you have to cover it up, everything that you feed and put food into that you have to be responsible for cleaning, all of this stuff that is that is our bodies, God has chosen that for his sacrifice. And, and, and God has chosen your body. God hasn't chosen an image of a body that exists in the world and says, I want that actually, I want that. That computer-generated image of what a body looks like, i want he hasn't done that. He wants your body, the way it looks and the way it works and what it's capable of. He has decided that your body is good and your body is the sacrifice that he wants. Not an ideal. Your body has value to God. But we still have to self-select by offering it to him. By saying, the things that I can do with this body, I'm going to give them to the Lord. Okay? You still have to self-select it. This is your choice. And as a, uh, 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 we, still, we, don't, we ha- still have the choice about whether or not we're going to participate with our bodies as living sacrifices or not. But the reality is, is that we need to think of our bodies differently, that this is, this, thi- this is not just a suit that we inhabit, but yet God has asked us to give this over to him. And it has to be fully surrendered. We need to give all of our body over to God, willing to do what God has called us to do with it. Now, if we're supposed to offer a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, right? So God has specifically instructed, don't like... End this thing and then, uh, and then offer it, right? Like that's not what we're doing. We're not beheading ourselves and be offering ourselves the, uh, uh, on the altar. So when we're a living sacrifice, that means that we have ongoing responsibilities to care for this thing. We have ongoing responsibilities to look after. We have ongoing responsibilities to, make, to ensure that this thing, as much as it, is, as it is up to us, is able to do what God has called it to do. So we can't make a sacrifice that is fully surrendered and then say, like, well, this body is fully sacrificed to the Lord, so I'm not going to care for it anymore. You still have to give give this body proper food. You have to give your body proper medicine. You have to give your body proper exercise and care because this is a sacrifice to the Lord, right? It is incumbent on us that we care for this thing because we've been given the responsibility of carrying a, a... a living sacrifice to the Lord, because our bodies must be prepared to do the will of God, fully surrendered to his will. this is interesting this this whole Paul was filled with this concept of 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 making sure that we understood the value that our bodies have and I've talked about this before, but it's worth talking about again. First Corinthians 6 19 and 20 says, Don't you know that your bodies are the temple, are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, God honor God with your bodies. Now, the, 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 the context of this is he's talking about sexual immorality that, 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 that don't do things with your body that dishonor God, that dishonor other people, that dishonor yourself. But it's interesting that like most of my life I've only heard this in conjunction with not smoking, right? Therefore, don't this is why we don't smoke. But no one ever, so like we never got past not smoking to be like, God meets us in this thing. God, like when I look in the mirror, and if I look in the full-length mirror and dissati- and am dissatisfied with this 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 is still the place where god has chosen to meet me you go to the temple to worship god you go to the temple to offer your sacrifices you go to the temple to experience the fullness of what god has to offer but god has said that temple is here so this thing whether i like it or not whether i want it to be bigger or smaller or everything that i want to do with it this thing has value because i meet god here okay and all of these food and drink and ceremonial washings and external regulations, all of those are, 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 are symbols of our surrender to God in this way. Whoa. So this goes back to what does it mean for us to be a living sacrifice, to make our bodies externally ordered, self-selected, and fully surrendered. Well, one, we have to respect our bodies. And I don't mean just like this means everybody has to get uh, into complete good health. I think the first step is I'd like you all to stop talking badly about your bodies. Now, some of you, more of the males, are gonna have less of an issue with that. Um, but I've been able to overhear the way that women talk about your own bodies and, 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 I don't think that God wants you to talk about his temple that way. I think God wants you to be more satisfied with the temple that he has given you because he has chosen that. And I would like that to be the first thing you hear or you think when you when you think of your own body. Is not that I don't conform to a standard that this world has laid out for me. I don't conform to an image of my of myself that 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 does not yet exist in reality. But exactly the way that you are, that God has chosen that as the place to meet you, to start from there. Now, women aren't the only people that have body issues. Men have it as well. So, like, but you know, like, it's not like I look in the mirror and I'm like, man, I wish I had some more going on up here. Um, God doesn't think that. God doesn't look at me and say like, ah, maybe Dan should get some laser hair treatments to see if those work or something, you know? But yet we, that's our conforming to the pattern of this world. So we offer ourselves as living sacrifices by saying, okay, God, I'm going to love this thing as much as you love it and I'm going to care for it, and I'm going to do the best I can, but I'm going to offer all of this as a living sacrifice to you. And to understand that, 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 that we're going to do our best to meet God here, that we're not going to hold off looking for another place to meet God. We're not going to hold off in search of, of all of these external places and areas where God is going to become more clear to us. We're going to understand that God has chosen this body as the place where we meet him so we can wait for him and trust that he will meet us here. And in this, we're going to begin to enter into transformation, because we also know that as we are offering this as a living sacrifice, that we are preparing ourselves to do what he has called us to do, to love him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we see no clearer example of this than at the cross, where there was not a part of Jesus that was not fully surrendered. There was not a part of Jesus that wasn't fully obedient to what God had commanded. There wasn't a part of a part of himself that he held back. There wasn't a part of himself that didn't follow through with that obedience, but there also wasn't a, a, in any way where he wasn't cooperative. Even as he said even as he said, "Take this cup from me." He prayed, "Not my will, but yours be done." And Jesus lived, offered up himself as a sacrifice, a sacrifice that was that was destroyed and, and, and went to death on our behalf so that we might be living sacrifices that need not die but have life abundant and life eternal. So I'd like us to think about that as we come to this table this morning. As we prepare ourselves in our hearts, how have we offered ourselves as living sacrifices? How can we live fully surrendered, ready to meet God in our bodies, and yet also ready to do what he has called us to do. Let's take some time in silent prayer together.